You're checking out the Nifty Q Show. All right. Good morning. Good evening. Good night. Welcome into the Nifty Q Show. I hope you're having a good day. We're interviewing influential founders, leaders, and people in the NFT and blockchain industry. Today, I'm sitting with Drew Harding, co-founder of Metafactory, a crowdfunding platform for the creation of limited run custom goods with an initial focus on fashion and apparel. We'll be discussing the digital physical industry, intersections between fashion and tech, robot token, and what the team has in store for 2022. Drew, Happy to have you in here, man. I had you in about like a year and a half ago, almost at this point, which is like, good Lord, we're like old people in the space now, but <laughs> how are you doing today, my brother? I'm doing great. Yeah. You, uh, you spoke with us almost right after we kind of, uh, started on this big experiment and project. So yeah, it's, it's nice to reconnect and uh, follow up, talk about where we've been, progress we've made. Yeah, I just got done reading that kind of like 2022 uh, like memorandum or like where you guys are headed uh, here, which we'll touch on in, in the discussion. But I kind of want to touch on something that's really urgent to this week. Uh, you're in ETH Denver or going to ETH Denver. Oh, yeah. What is that going to be like uh, as that's kind of coming up? Yeah, uh, ETH Denver is always a, a great event, especially from for the builder community because it's it's more hackathon than conference, although it's it's definitely growing. It seems like it's going to be uh, pretty wild, um, quite a few people this this year. But yeah, Metafactory is the official uh, merchandise partner uh, this year. So we'll be handling all the sales, uh, a bunch of obviously Denver Spork Dow goods, a bunch of Metafactory gear, uh, some of our partner um, clients and, and, and partners gear uh, drops, some old drops, some new drops, um, and all the purchases will receive robot and Spork. So that's a, a cool benefit for everybody there. Yeah. I want to talk about those utility tokens later uh, in the episode here, but I kind of want to go over you know, it's been about a year. So I want to go over your background here. It's been long enough where I think we can rehash a, a little bit of how you got into crypto and, and NFTs. And uh, I really like the origin story with you guys at Metafactory through the Meta Cartel and just like the experience you have in the Ethereum ecosystem, I think could be beneficial to a lot of people listening. So give me that quick TLDR on your background, man, and we'll, we'll make our way into the discussion. Sure. Um, so I founded a web and mobile application development. Um, wow. Long time ago. Um, web two life, uh, ran that for about a decade and, um, around 2006 on the back of the Ethereum ICO, I kind of saw the evolution of the space. It seemed like, um, we were about to move into more practical business use cases, uh, consumer applications using this technology, uh, not so much the uh, gambling apps, darknet markets and all that, which is great. Don't get me wrong, uh, but <laughs> uh, definitely like a little bit more substance and and kind of the whole ecosystem growing on the back of, you know, Web3, birth of Web3. Um, and so, yeah, 2006, I actually reached out to my business partner. I was like, I think we should pivot full time into crypto. It's probably premature. He was like, I don't know. So we uh, kind of parted ways and I, I dove into crypto full time uh, career. Um, I yeah did variety consulting, product consulting for a handful of companies, a wallet company called Pillar. Um, and yeah, I got involved with Meta Cartel um, pretty early on through the, the hackathon circuit, met those guys, uh, lo love what they were trying to do, um, really pushing. So Meta Cartel comes from like meta transactions. So they're really pushing the abstraction of transactions and trying to, the idea was create this kind of working group to further uh, user experience um, in, 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 uh, within like applications and dApps and space. So uh, Meta Cartel, for those who don't know, is, is a grant giving organization. We essentially are a bunch of members who pool our funds to give out to other founders and projects and startups to um, that are looking to do interesting, exciting and beneficial stuff in you know, Web3 in space. Yeah. So back in, I missed that timeline. Your, your introduction into crypto was what year? 
uh, as a career 2006 or sorry, uh, 2016. Okay, 16. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say you were super <laughs> yeah. early on that. <laughs> Forgot a decade there. I was thinking of my um, Web2 business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. I, I love talking to guys who were, I love talking to everyone that comes on the show, of course, but I like talking to people that were in that time frame when I kind of started investing in crypto a little bit. Did you get involved in investing at that time in 2016, 17? And what, what, what interested you at that time? The real background is actually pretty funny. Um, another business I was working uh, and focused on, kind of uh, peripheral, they were working and accepting Bitcoin as payment. And uh, they turned me onto this whole, there's this Bitcoin, there's this digital currency around, I want to say 2012. And I went home, read the white paper, and I was just like, totally resonated with me. And that was, I was immediately red-pilled. Um and I was actually working with them and I was like, you know what, I'll actually take a Bitcoin as payment uh, for my services and blah, blah, blah. And so that's how it started for me. Then I got into exploring, you know, the the markets, the apps um, and mining. So I was doing a little bit of GPU mining for a minute. Um, so, yeah, I've been I was pretty immersed in the space and really excited about where it was going. But it wasn't until yeah, 16 when I was. I thought about actually transitioning and, and making this like the focus of, of my life, my time, my energy. So awesome, man. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Meta Cartel a little bit because I feel like it's, it was almost like one of the first most recognizable DAOs uh, from like a community standpoint, especially within the Ethereum ecosystem. What is, what does the Meta Cartel like look like today? Yeah. I mean, you guys were such on the forefront of like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know being a cool DAO uh, and just like, you know, organizing together and, and trying to push the Ethereum ecosystem forward. And now it, we kind of like have an ecosystem that right. at the time did not exist, but people could envision what does the meta cartel look like today? I would say, you know, there was the DAO, obviously the the original, and I think that left everyone with a little bit of PTS DAO um, because of you know the the result of that. And I think a lot of people were just kind of turned off or just ignored the governance conversation um, as a result of that. And then uh, Amin, James Young, uh, you know, a handful of others started Moloch DAO, and similar vibe. They wanted to be purely a, a grant giving organization. I think this was mainly for regulatory slash, uh, you know, accounting slash taxation purposes, because if they're just only giving out money, they're not actually, you know, there's no venture. Uh, it, it makes things a little more simple. Um, Meta Cartel was born shortly thereafter as really like the second Moloch DAO. And uh, whereas, um, I think Moloch DAO was primarily focused on kind of ETH2 and a, a lot of like the bigger like um, chain specific issues. We were looking to um, fund people who were building on top of Ethereum uh, uh, primarily at the time and still really our focus. And um, but yeah, as new L1s, L2s have popped up that started to start started to like uh, change. We're obviously have a lot of focus on like Gnosis chain at the moment. Um, the old uh, die, uh, X die chain. But yeah, um, yeah, it was a bunch of people too who really, there was no expectation of, you know, reward or funding or uh, whatnot. It was really just a bunch of people pooling their funds um, in order to lift the entire, you know, ecosystem up, uh, rising water floats all boats kind of situation. And then also identifying, you know, good good founders, good builders and, and you know, supporting them on their journey. It was really hard in the beginning. You know, there's, the the VCs that and and the money sloshing around in the space from an investment standpoint definitely wasn't there. So um, I think yeah we did we put in a lot of work to to help kind of set foundations and as a result we're helped to seed a lot of the most prominent and inf influential platforms and, and projects in the space at the moment. So yeah, let's hit on a couple of. Uh, those platforms, because I think, you know, it would be, you know, beneficial for someone listening to say, oh, I actually interact with that platform on a daily basis or a weekly basis. And they came from Moloch now, or, yeah, or yeah. I'm sorry, Meta Cartel. It's, it's all really cl close family in Moloch and Meta Cartel, but yeah, they're, they're distinct. Um, uh, yeah. Zapper is a pretty well-known one. Um, Gelato, also a, a well-known one. I mean, Dow House, uh, in terms of easy DAO tooling is one that's kind of been directly born from Meta Cartel as Meta Factory was as well. Um, we we kind of came out of the 
the culture of the meta cartel and and really wanted meta factory to actually land on and focus on celebrating that culture um but yeah there's there's a list i'd need to pull up <laughs> we've touched a lot and we've helped a, a lot of projects um both in uh, sweat equity as well as actual financing. Yeah, the, the value yeah. add there is very clear when it's not as m- much clear on the VC side. So I, I, while I do like the money kind of getting into the space, I think like having that real community focused uh, VC like situation is is a lot better. But anyways, let's talk about kind of how Metafactory kind of got started there. So you were a part of MetaCartel. You obviously were like were fashion focused and and saw that as maybe an opportunity. And you founded Metafactory. How did how did that all work within the Meta Cartel? I love to think I was fashion focused, but I, I definitely can't claim that. Um, you know, it it really started. It all kind of stemmed from you know one day I realized my entire wardrobe consisted of conference swag <laughs> and like Web three project shirts, and it's it's all the typical you know logo stamp on T shirt and you know, at these conferences, like people doing, you know, more exciting things with merch, starting to play with ideas. Um, the NFTs were like just kind of starting, um, mainly one of one art, um, super rare was, you know, kind of blossoming at that point. And, you know, there was an idea of combining the physical with the digital components. Um, and yeah, it was actually in uh, at DevCon Osaka uh, that we were all together, Meta Cartel hangout. We had obviously like a, a a house there where we were all staying together, and we're just kind of spitballing ideas. And um, you know, thought about why don't we leverage fashion as an extension of our, of culture um, and provide it as physical merch as a way for artists and creatives that are doing this NFT work to further grow, you know, their offering, their revenue streams, you know, what's, what's possible. Um, and looking back culturally, fashion plays typically plays a huge role in the development and like, uh, you know, celebration of cultures, subcultures, you see it obviously most prominently, I think with like music, hip hop movement, punk movement, they all have kind of their own distinct fashion styles. Um, streetwear has kind of come through in a, in a major way to, um, sneaker culture, all the, all these kind of things. Um, and so the idea was uh, simply that, can we create a decentralized brand? Um, can we make the brand a DAO? Can we allow artists and creators to not only make stuff, but be rewarded, um, as well as the buyers, the contributors as patrons, um, and the operators, uh, you know, as well that are helping to manage and run everything. So. Yeah, I want to have like an industry discussion because I think digiphysical goods are something that maybe people don't really have too much familiarity with. I think merch is like slowly kind of coming on to the, the mainstream, whereas like people are mostly focused on art or collectibles or things like this in the NFT space. But but in 2021, I mean, I'm just reading off from, again, your recap, 6,000 orders, $1.3 million in product sales, 150 products created. Average order size two hundred fourteen dollars, which I think we can get to uh, that that combo we were having pre episode. So you, I mean, you guys have really, really done a great job growing uh, the the Metafactory, you know, just brand and, and product. Clearly, uh, you were building before NFTs were a thing, though. weren't like I remember, like even the robot token was like the social token movement. Yeah, that was kind of the the narrative. We didn't actually even have a token upon launch. In fact, if you would have asked, um, you know, myself or MetaDreamer or any kind of like the the core team we would have probably been like, no, like there's no way we're going to do a token. Cause there was still a little bit of a ICO, like, you know, we, we don't need a token for everything. And so the idea was actually to focus more on the NFT side, um, on this like kind of decentralized brand aspect. And then, yeah, as it, uh, as it evolved, we recognized, um, uh, an issue with, um, incentive alignment and, and motivations between different you know, user groups within contributing to Metafactory. And it's like, you know, it would work really well to solve this problem, a token. So that was why Robot was born out of, out of uh, necessity and, and seeing the need for, for something like that. So, yeah. 
Yeah. And you guys have plans for the, for the robot token here in 2022, which we'll obviously get into as the conversation evolves. Uh, but I, I, I want to set the stage for what Metafactory is going to do here uh, in the next year by kind of touching on this digiphysical again uh, and this like intersection again between fashion and technology that you mentioned a couple of times in your blog post, like digital identity and how all of this is involved. So if, if you can like set the stage for us on why merch and, you know, digiphysical is going to be a huge thing going forward for us uninitiated non-fashion forward folks. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, digiphysical at, at its core is really a, a good uh, product that exists both in a physical and a digital sense. So for us, obviously we're focused primarily at the moment on merchandise we're getting into more some consumer product goods. There's some hardware opportunities and we're starting to push beyond fashion, but there's so much to unpack and to be done with the fashion space. Um, you know, for the physical side, um, it's a really exciting space for us. And I don't come from a fashion background. I'm a technologist um, at, at heart and we are lucky to have some amazing people who do come from that world and have really opened our eyes and helped highlight the challenges, the inefficiencies, the problems with the fashions, the legacy fashion space. And there are many, um, the main one being a lot of players, contributors, designers, garment pattern makers that really don't receive the, the accolades or the recognition for the work they do. And that's both socially as well as fiscally. So can we do better? Can we actually by a decentralized brand, that doesn't mean just decentralizing the creative and the participants and the operations. It means, you know, can we actually do a better job at value capture and distribution to the people who are actually the seamstress and seamsters, the car, the pattern makers, the, the people all the way through the supply chain. Um, and then on the digital side, yeah, obviously as the the metaverse starts to emerge. And I know that <laughs> that phrase, that word has a lot of connotation right now. And I, I think we're all trying to unpack what that is. Um, it kind of feels like there are many metaverses the way everyone's talking about it, but you know, I'm, I come from the, the snow crash camp, um, the dreaming, the sci-fi, like, you know, what are the, the, possibilities, right? And so the reality from how I think we think about it at Metafactory is this idea of an open metaverse, um, non-permission, non-wall garden, fully interoperable, uh, fully accessible, um, really driven by the creators and the builders. And so for us, it's been tricky because you know, you have a series of these independent platforms that are each doing their own things. You have the CryptoVoxel, uh, Decentraland, Sandbox, Omnium Space. It goes on and on and on. There's more emerging every day. And each of them have their own NFTs. Each of them have their own ways of dealing with things. And unfortunately, if we don't actually find alignment as an industry, that's going to create a lot of problems in the future. So for us, it's really been about thinking and the reason why it's taken so long for us to roll out our digital strategy and our NFTs specifically is thinking about this question of interoperability and how best to structure our contracts and our assets to encourage and um, push the the space forward towards like in that direction. So, so do you almost have to like pick a winner at this point? Do you almost have to be like, okay, we think Sandbox is going to do it. So let's just align ourselves with Sandbox. No, and, and we don't really want to necessarily do that because I, we want to support all of them equally. And ideally, we'd love to see them all want to uh, have our clothes, our digital wearables represented in their worlds. Because again, it's this whole space is about positive sum alignment and uh, where we can make that happen. I've it's kind of like a an aha moment when you first see it happen. And in a lot of ways, it almost doesn't make sense when you're looking at traditional business models or how value capture is done. And then you see it done in a way where it's just like, wow, like this is actually benefiting both of us by working together. <laughs> and we're, you know, we're growing the space, rising waters, back to that. So for for us, it's obviously there are some that are more mature that are making better inroads, some that actually are really keen to support interoperability. And as a result of that, um, obviously it makes sense to lean into those or, or work more closely with them because they're aligned in ethos and focus. So instead of doing that, and it really probably for us, it wouldn't have been picking one, but 
mint an NFT for crypto voxels, mint one for sandbox, mint one for Decentraland, mint. And now you have seven different NFTs of the same physical shirt. And so it just becomes disjointed and really hard to manage. So the approach we're taking is a single master NFT. Uh, we're relying on um, Ceramic Network to drive our backend. But in a nutshell, what it allows us to do is have that single master NFT point to an IPFS file directory that hosts a bunch of different file formats. Um, so a Vox file, GLB, DRM, whatever it might be specific to the the art style or the software of that those different worlds and then ideally um we, we get these platforms to support us and when you uh, connect your wallet it'll be able to do a lookup grab the right um, file type and you're, you're on your way so a lot of this tooling ceramic didn't exist um they were working on it but it you know wasn't necessarily ready when we were first wanted to do our nfts and it's been a long time to think through the contract design and all the parameters and i'm sure we're still gonna you know get some things wrong but you know we're, we're doing our best and we're trying to build with intention and and thinking about longevity instead of just Let's mint it and get it out. Let's mint it and sell it. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I mean, you see me fidgeting it over here because the work that you're doing is is amazing. I, if you're sitting at home and you're a viewer, I hope you understand the work that it takes that that Drew and the in the team are kind of going through to make sure that one the digital physical movement continues to grow. You guys are really at the the you know leading front there. Uh, but when you when you go to like the play to earn sector, uh, like a team can raise 50 mil just by creating something so simple, you know, the PFP sector, you know, you, you, you throw together, you know, something in a blender and you raise, you know, 50 mil, like the work that you guys are doing so awesome. Please. If you're a viewer, look at what they're doing. There's so many amazing things to be had uh, within, I think the digital physical space, but there are these problems that you're mentioning. One that you mentioned right before the episode too is this mental model y'all have to to get through. Where so, and I'll let you explain it. But uh, you know, somebody kind of looks at a PFP, they're like, "Oh, I'll spend two Gs on that." But they look at maybe the merch you guys have, and they, it, it's a different way of observing an asset. Yeah, uh, lots of thoughts on that point. But yeah, I mean. We all have purchased clothes. You know, this is a familiar kind of mental model and, you know, commercial uh, engagement, I guess, with brands and whatnot. Um, the, as a result, we all kind of have our own opinion on our cap or what we think, you know, a hoodie's worth, a shirt is worth, a hat is worth, a sneaker is worth. In some senses, like sneakers, sneakerhead movement, we've seen those have taken on collectible value and kind of gone beyond just the value of what is the sneaker or a shoe to wear, you know, perspective. But also I think culturally we've been trained at least like Western culture to like purchase based on price and not on value. And that's a really unfortunate situation. That's not just for clothing, but I think that's kind of across the board. Um, and a lot of times, you know, brands that are doing more work for, towards sustainability or doing more work towards rewarding their designers or, or their team or, you know, the people behind it, um, you know, they're, they're still having to compete with those, what, with expectations, the market expectations for pricing. And I think we face that as Metafactory too. We put up a, a hoodie for, you know, four or $500. People are like, that's insane. I remember yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I like, I, it didn't click. Yeah. But you put up a PFP and it's like, oh, six ETH. Yeah. No problem. You know, cause you're just, that's the model, the mental model and the pricing model. We've kind of come to, uh, you know, expect for uh, NFTs and, and digital only goods. And the funny thing is when we get to the point of releasing, which we're very close, our digital side, you kind of, you have both these components and it's not only just an NFT, but it's, it's kind of, it's a functional NFT in the sense is you can put it on, you can wear it, uh, you can wear it across multiple platforms. It's not specific to one platform. At least this is a, the, the goal and the vision. So um, yeah, it's, it's been a bit tricky and hard in that sense. And we will probably try and experiment some more with uh, digital first that maybe come with a physical complement or digital only. So we're, we're going to definitely experiment a little bit, but yeah, it's it's definitely a, a part of the the challenge, <clears throat> for sure. And and I think you know this is a cool conversation because a lot of your solutions won't really you know have any effect until 
a lot of people are in the metaverse and able to display their stuff digitally for, for one reason, someone wants to show off that they own a board ape it. Well, they can show it off. They can show it off right there on Twitter that they own it. Whereas you can't show off the dope bomber jacket that you guys have very easily, you know, but, but yeah, it's, it's not, I mean, I guess you could upload your, you know, bomber yeah. jacket is your, on your Twitter. profile. <laughs> there might be some, you know, big fans. That's, that's a good idea actually. Um, but yeah, it is. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a challenge again there. Um, and I think too, like these PFPs have almost started to realize like, in a sense, like we, like we're a brand and we're starting to see overlap with what we're doing. And that's, the most prominent in like our partnership with Apesthetics, which is uh, DeFarmer and uh, I think a partner who they have a huge amount of apes, Mm -hmm. mutant and normal, as well as other projects. And he's actually created a streetwear, a proper streetwear brand using those assets and collaborating with Metafactory on the production and like design side of that. So, yeah, this is, I want to stay in this for just a second. I know there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this afterwards. And like, when is the Metafactory discussion, the robot discussion happening, but it's, it's still dope to like hear, you know, someone that's been in the space talk about where we're headed. So you're talking about kind of a collaboration here with like maybe PFP projects, which I've seen some go beyond just having the PFP, like a rebel rabbits, for example, is a project that like attached and like had some type of attachment that you could put onto your PFP. Have you guys done some of that thinking? Like maybe the next move is the board ape to have a meta factory jacket on. Yeah. It's again, this is kind of also, these are those positive sum collaborations that I think are like, can be amazing to bringing communities together and growing audiences and, and whatnot. Um, we'd love to support something like that. We'd love to work with others on that. I think it makes sense that PFPs would evolve into like a composable state where you'd be able to dress up or dress down um, and, or, you know, any other avatar that, you know, you may, you may have or see. And that becomes another challenge for us on the digital side is if you're a gigantic, you know, alien or ogre giant, you're going to have to Uh, size this jacket. You know, (laughs) if you're a little gnome or a a unicorn, it's, you know, so there's definitely challenges too with, um, you know, this physics and thinking through uh, aspects of that. So as a result, there may be like limitations to where or how we can support certain projects, but those also present opportunities. Right. So um, I think that it evolves to maybe it's not a jacket for a certain type of uh, project. Maybe it's like more of a badge or a, a sash or a who knows. Right. So the cool thing is we can take, these can take forms on different platforms, right? It might be, and this is what's exciting to me about NFTs and like game assets is like your sword in one world could be a staff in another. And there's a whole opportunity for people, I think to, this is my vampire attack on essentially a, a, an existing um, uh, play to earn game. You say, Hey, all your axes actually work over here. They're just ogres. And then you introduce your own assets on top of that, you know? So like, this is, this is, I think the exciting, how things are, are, are going to evolve and it starts to get really exciting from there. So. Yeah. I, I love web three. Cause at the same time of talking about positive, some games, we can also talk about vampire attacks and completely taking well, it actually, <laughs> But the thing is, like, it seems like a negative term, but the reality is that would actually benefit, like, Axie Infinity a huge way, too, because there's a whole new use case for these axes, right? Instead of having to buy all this platform's assets, I can use my existing ones and just extend the reach. Mm, As long as that utility, yeah, continue to exist. uh, Yeah, that that, that makes perfect sense. So uh, I I do want to kind of package two questions here together, and I might have just completely thrown myself off, but let's talk about Nike acquiring artifact and like your thoughts there. Cause again, the digital physical space is going to be, you know, kind of come into fruition acquisitions like that really bring it into the forefront, right? It's like fashion is actually in, in culture and in digital physical fashions specifically. So what are your thoughts on, on Nike acquiring artifact? And then what does success look like for the digital physical space here in like 2022? Yeah. Inevitable that legacy brands are going to try and get involved. Um, I respect that, you know, the ones that see the potential and and are starting to support that potential. Um, I'm hopeful that they're not going to 
be too heavy handed and letting the ecosystem naturally and organically mature. Um, from what I've heard, uh, about artifact is they have quite a bit of autonomy and their vision is, is quite aligned with what we're trying to do in terms of an open metaverse and, and how to bring that around. Um, I was hoping they would avoid another walled garden kind of, this is our metaverse approach. This is Nike's metaverse rather. How can we extend and support and see, you know, clone X and our pods exist in these other worlds. Um, and that sounds to, seems to be the case. Um, you know, I, it's, it's tricky. Um, if they're investing for the purpose of controlling, are they investing for the purpose of cultivating and, 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 you know, just providing funding for a group to run and, and just kind of have their stake, maybe like a golden handcuff kind of situation to some extent. Um, but yeah, obviously those types of budgets, that type of support from a brand and media and marketing perspective is massive. Um, it's only going to benefit them and like the, the space generally in terms of bringing eyes, you know, and then it's all of our responsibility to make sure what those eyes are seeing is something that we want <laughs> to be seen versus a money grab, a cash grab, something that doesn't align with culture. And, you know, hopefully it's not about how can we grow our bottom line, but how can we actually bring our consumers, our customers, the people who make this brand successful into the fold. And that's really been like a core focus for us at Metafactory is like this idea of a decentralized brand, not just in name, but in practice and in action. Yeah. And community owned brands. And that's why I kind of want to like right. continue on this question, especially with you being involved in Metacartel. Like, and again, I go back to this, like Metacartel group as being like one of the cool kids in web three, where you actually have like the cypherpunk mentalities, artifacts selling out to Nike while it's cool for the space. Like kind of a cop-out, you know, kind of a, kind of a sellout. You got, you know, it, it, do you have those feelings at all? Yeah. I mean, initial thought, and I think we posted something on Twitter. It's just like Metafactory bought by nobody. We're still a Dow, you know, like it was kind of just poking fun, but yeah, I, it depends again, the, what these big pockets, these legacy brands, what's, what are their intentions, you know? And it's hard to say I'm, I'm outside looking in, uh, I can easily, scoff at and point fingers and shame artifact because, you know, for one reason or another, but again, I'm not really privy to this stuff. It's very likely that Nike was involved in the project very early on. And because these types of deals don't happen overnight, you know, and, um, it felt like it was quite a, kind of like this quick acquisition, but it's very possible that, um, maybe that was intent intended all along or, um, kind of, you know, Nike had helped to set that up or, or to, to fund or support the, the initial growth. So, you know, in, in that case too, like good on them, because I, th I think artifact is doing some really awesome stuff. And I think how they're pushing the needle forward and how they're thinking about what they're introducing is, is on the right path. Um, so, yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay. So, uh, I have a lot of people here, uh, while we are live guys, this is a nifty Q show again, Awesome people in the space. We're trying to interview in the NFT, you know, blockchain space. This is live now on YouTube. It's going to be uh, going to be on YouTube, of course, afterwards. Uh, but we also have the audio platforms that you can kind of visit in the description below. I want to give a shout out to the live people, though. Uh, Hash Rhymes, Digits, Coca Jenkins, Mylanay, Dow Friend, BC in the Matrix, Savior saying Metafactory rocks. So you got some supporters here. Uh, guys, if you have any questions for Drew, definitely uh, hit the comment section there and I will definitely get to them. But let's hit your plans for 2022 because I, I, you know, we're a full network uh, here that covers a lot of different verticals. But again, going back to the the idea that fashion and culture and and digital physical as a term, I feel like a lot of people do not have an understanding of the opportunities there. So I do want to hit on like from the user side, kind of kind of shilling a little bit on why Metafactory is a good opportunity to get involved in you know, just, just the project in general, when most people are just familiar with like play to earn games or PFP projects, what is, what makes y'all, you know, interesting? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, I think the fact that we sit in this intersection of physical and digital, um, there are not many projects that really cross crossover that deal with actual physical goods, production, manufacturing sales. As a result, 
And for those who may not be aware, the physical goods and production side is a lot more complicated. Obviously, um, you're dealing with a, a, a lot more variables than just producing digital assets. Um, at the same time, we see that as a huge opportunity. Again, um, there's a lot of issues with legacy fashion at the moment, um, fast fashion, uh, pricing on value or on focus on price over value. Um, lots of people in the space not uh, receiving their fair share. So, you know, for us, it's been a matter of, can we create like a decentralized network of micro factories of partners that we rely on both for the creative inspiration and design, as well as the actual physical goods production, as well as the fulfillment. So we at any one time have, you know, six to eight different partners that we're leveraging. And we started to realize that's kind of tricky. So um, we've done a great job of creating alignment on the creative design operational side of our project, but the production side is we're still working with a lot of different ven vendors and people who might kind of understand what we're doing in our model might not. Um, and so a big push for us in, uh, you know, 2022 is the decision to vertically integrate our process more. And what that means is to actually open our own uh, physical factories, uh, micro factories, if you will. We opened the first one in Berlin um, a few months ago. And this not only allows us to have better control over our process, uh, greater efficiency, better quality control, but allows us to experiment more because we own the machines and we can spend time, you know, playing with new designs or approaches. Um, the first really prominent drop that we've uh, spent time on and focused in that space was the one for the loop, um, like a meta loop drop. So basically anyone who had the opportunity to purchase and redeem their loot um, NFT for a physical goods package. And as each NFT is different, each you know, um, order is completely personalized and, and different. So we're actually, this kind of plays into this one of one or PFP situation because production isn't really set up very well for doing one of one prints. Like I want my board board ape on a t-shirt and then, you know, you, you set it up, you run 30, 300, 3000, and then, you know, you print them all and you, you, you ship them all. So um, exploring more customization, personalization, uh, doing that through trims, doing that through actual printing, um, new processes, uh, new garment constructions. So, We've been working really closely with a team out in New York called Decode, who is focused on zero waste design. Zero waste design is a way of cutting patterns um, it, it, that reduces the waste of basically the fabric. Currently, if you take like a sheet and you cut it into a, uh, um, a typical t-shirt, there's around 15% of fabric waste that's just tossed. Zero waste design tries to get that down to 1%. To it's pretty substantial in terms of a, a waste perspective. It also creates some really cool cuts and design, you know, styles and whatnot. So um, we're also pulling forward some more interactive, choose your own adventure. We're, we're selling a few. There'll actually be a, one at Denver specific to the like, Eat Denver and the Buff Corn. But we had one recently where it was a, a kind of like a slate tank, uh, slight slate, um, sweater with a robot on the back, uh, designed all white, but we included a, a fabric pen set. So you could color in design, draw it however you wanted, and you can customize the shirt. So playing with just some more ideas and a lot of the, um, you know, construction quality control on the physical production side, trying to create better alignment up and down the supply chain through that, um, and so that's that's a, a big focus. Obviously, as we've already touched on, we are on the cusp, very close to releasing our NFTs based on the strategy that I outlined. Um, we're really excited about those. We think that that's going to be a huge, that's going to usher in an entirely new narrative for who Metafactory is. Because up until this point, it's all been essentially physical product, physical goods. Yeah, yeah physical product, physical goods, a robot token. I'm interested in the NFT. I, like, what are the details? Do you have any, like, thing to kind of lay out for us on what these nfts are going to look like so it'll it, it'll be um you may have seen some of like our uh twitter like tweet posts when we were doing a drop where it's like kind of like a an animated render um sometimes it's actually the actual physical render like a 3d scan of an object we'll probably do that as the master 
for all the objects. And then again, we actually have to design in multiple different file formats to support multiple different worlds. And that will sit on the back end. And basically the NFT will kind of act as like a MasterCard or master pass, um, access pass. And then how that materializes in any one world or, or game platform will be based on the specifics of the, the tech software and, and art style of that platform. So it, it, that's how essentially the, the extension will work. We do have a spec, nothing we can really publish yet that the, there's quite a bit of substance in the, um, the roadmap slash retrospective that was just recently published. Um, I would say if you're interested, definitely dig into that. Um, but we are expecting to have actually a crude working beta for all the Metafactory robots that make it to eat Denver that we're going to be playing with and, and starting to poke around with. So, yeah, I just linked uh, that blog post, uh, that retrospective or that uh, big, you know, kind of like look at what you guys are planning on in 2022. Yeah, there's a lot of ways we could take this discussion. Uh, I do want to talk on the robot token a little bit. The, yeah. the main kind of the main kind of thing for me when I first like found out about uh, Metafactor was your guys's bomber jacket yeah. <laughs> and that idea that you guys could again with the with Web three and with the way that these mechanics are set up, you could have that positive sum alignment where I could buy a bomber jacket and get you know retroactive like distribution of your sales and things like this where I could be aligned with you guys. Right. Um, is that still like a thing for users to get involved with? Definitely. Um, so yeah, on, on the robot side, we robot is our governance token, Metafactory's governance token. For those who don't know, we affectionately refer to ourselves, uh, the community as robots. Um, and it's kind of a, you know, a way to emphasize like the decentralized, decentralized nature of the brand. Like we all are, Metafactory, none of us are Metafactory. Not only are we like a, you know, a DAO in, in name, but like the vision, the brand collectively, where we go, our values are driven by, you know, the community directly. Um, so yeah, the ro robot, essentially we use this to obviously capture value and distribute it back to everyone who's giving value to Metafactory. That starts with, with the buyers. So um, anyone who buys stuff right now, you receive 42% back um, on the purchase price uh, via robot. So say you spend, a, you buy a hundred dollar hoodie, $42 worth of robot, you'd get distributed on a, a rolling kind of distribution basis. Um, and, and that's because we truly believe that the people that, you know, that are buying stuff, they're, they're the core driver. They're the patrons, um, designers, uh, who, you know, create designs for products. Um, they'll typically, you know, receive anywhere from 20 to 30%, uh, of, uh, similar kind of situation based on dollars sold, um, the robot payout to the, the brand or the project or the platform, say it's bankless, the designer could receive 20 to 30% of that cut. We have a role internally called the technician, essentially a project manager who helps, uh, kind of usher in, see through, facilitate end to end, uh, each of the drops working with, uh, various partners and clients. Um, you know, they receive a cut of the sales, but, we the way it works is Metafactory actually absorbs all costs, all headaches related to fulfillment, production, everything. So it doesn't actually cost anything to to do a drop with us. And this is why we've had to become a little more thoughtful about our intake and whatnot, who we're working with. Um, but and then what we do is we um, all the fiat profits obviously come into Metafactory, and then we use those fiat profits to add liquidity. Um, uh, buy back robot essentially. And, um, with that, we're able to continue distributing our rewards and it's obviously adding buy pressure. So as long as we're successful, we're selling products, we're profitable. There's essentially a, a, a constant, um, funnel and fuel back to, to robot and allows us to, again, reward the community of, of participants that are helping to make Metafactory what it is. Yeah. One of the reasons you should get involved in Metafactor, although nothing on the channel's investment advice and all these different things is like the team clearly has, you know, a, a lot of, uh, I guess, good business experience. And you can tell that there's like some of that flywheel effect that's happening when you guys create products. And then that all 
the, the process that you just mentioned that even goes back into buying back robot and things like this. Uh, I coin gecko is completely screwing me up right now. Uh, they're, they're just like not giving me a good feed for whatever reason, but I think the tokens up like 600% or something, uh, in the last year. Uh, so yeah, God, we've had quite a, a, quite a run. I think the problem with coin gecko at the moment is, uh, we opened a new, um, balancer V2 pool. And it's still pointing to our V1. Got it. So we actually had like an old pool or migrating over. This was actually a big initiative uh, last year called iRobot, which you can read about uh, in in the um, the roadmap yeah. slash retro that you know you shared. But yeah, um, we've been extremely l- lucky and, and humbled by the support we re- we've received. Um, both, you know, sweat equity. And by the way, we're always looking for new designers. We're always looking for people to come in, help with fulfillment, operations, marketing content. There's so much opportunity. And for us, that's what makes Metafactory what it is in the sense that it's driven by the community. Um, and then obviously, you know, people supporting us from the market perspective. And we have uh, a lot of focus being placed on bringing these two things together because there's kind of been this marketplace and some people don't even know there's this robot cash back and they're like asking why people are asking or why in the checkout flow, there's enter your ETH address. Definitely do that. <laughs> it's, to your, it's to your benefit. Um, this is how we'll distribute not only the robot rewards, but the NFTs once those are ready to go. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, the, you know, further token utility is coming around, you know, that, that point of how do we, how do we handle this intake or the, this model of um, anybody can do something for free, essentially, because we absorb the cost. Um, and part of this is playing into something we've talked about a bit called the curation game. And we're going to start pulling that forward and experimenting with it more where anybody who wants to do a drop with us will have to stake so much robot, um, kind of show their commitment, stake more to move up in priority. So drop priority and um, scheduling will be driven by you know, your robot um, staking and whatnot, you'd get that back or, you know, we're, we're figuring out logistics. You're experimenting. Yeah. yeah. We talked about, and we're probably going to do like a Rari fuse pool, uh, which allows for lending against robots. So you don't need to sell your robot, meaning you can still have governance and you can still be a participant, but you could borrow against it to stables and want to make sure people are actually able to pay their rents, cover their costs. You know, this is, we we're paying out designers and, and and contributors because we want this to be we want them this to be a work for them. We want to be able to like satisfy someone's needs in a full time capacity. So there's clearly a lot going on here and a lot of good going on here from like a tokenomics perspective and what you guys have been able to build. Uh, other than that blog post that we've been mentioned that I just dropped, is there another place to check out like the clear and hardcore utility now as well as like a timeline for future releases? There is a uh, we were using medium pr- previously um, prior okay. to posting on mirror. And now everyone's kind of switched to mirror for, for good reason um, on our medium. Uh, there is a specific robot token post that talks about the specific to- tokenomics and really dives in there. Okay. Uh, I can share that with you. So you can share it forward if like with your, your community. Um, but yeah, there is some detail I would say to, everything moves so fast in the space. We do a horrible job about uh, talking about where we're doing, what we're doing, our progress, things we're, um, you know, we're, we're focused on just because we're so busy doing it. <laughs> it's, it's, we do, we need someone to help on the content, but, um, yeah, I, you know, get involved in the discord. If you're really keen to understand what's happening. Um, there's also some really good just conversation and insight, especially on metaverse trends, um, and people who are just so up on the VR side and the technology pieces. Uh, and then of course, Twitter, uh, in terms of the Twitter and discord from a real time, most, you know, up to date and, and fast moving knowledge. That's going to be, that's going to, those are going to be your best platforms. So. I'm always jealous of the people who are just like posting tweets and that's all they do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, you could keep everybody updated on what you're doing, but like that's because you're only doing that, you know, for the, for us builders and people are like, well, why don't you, you know, talk more about what you're doing? Well, cause I'm freaking building, you know, like, you know, it's, it's tough to host these every, every day and all these things. So yeah, hundred percent. Um, that's like, why it's great to chat with people like you who can help, you know, us better communicate these things forward. So 
appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. you, my man. Yeah. Uh, hey, I got some lightning questions here. Uh, some of these are personal, like just me questions that I wanted to ask you, but others are probably <laughs> related to, uh, of course, what you guys are doing. Uh, and I also want to open it up again, guys, if you have questions about, uh, you know, robot token metafactory, please drop them in the chat. Um, Drew, are you guys planning on like raising money at any point? We've talked about it. We did. iRobot was kind of an interesting experiment around doing like an on-chain DAO based raise, a decentralized raise. Um, it was, you know, it, it actually worked pretty well. Uh, we were pretty happy with the outcome. Obviously, unfortunately in the latter half of this last year and into like really recently, we kind of hit some market challenges. Um, so and, and pros and cons, because it was on chain, we're subject to the market volatility that's going to happen versus if we were to do a, you know, a tr traditional diversification or sale, um, OTC sale to an investor, that would just be a huge like cash war chest for us. The biggest thing I think was any kind of VC that we would work with or do that type of raise, we need to make sure they're aligned in ethos and vision for what we're doing. We also felt like doing this kind of a decentralized DAO-based approach was a cool way of doing essentially a decentralized seed round, which would then kind of allow us to, um, you know, piggyback into um, a more traditional type raise. So we're exploring it. Um, it's likely um, some, some version of that will occur in the future, but we're blessed enough to actually have a working business model and revenue model that we've bootstrapped the whole thing. Um, and, you know, we, we haven't needed to, to raise, um, in that, in that sense, um, you know, that said, we're also getting a lot more comfortable with the direction and our focus. So just adding fuel to the fire makes a little bit more sense. We have a, a more clear vision at the moment. So. Uh, and a hundred percent. And the reason I even ask is because you you have so many processes set up, if not only because you're in the digital physical space, right? You, right. you got to set up a factory for yeah. God's sakes. Like <laughs> yeah. this is like all things that require cash. And mortar so, business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, shout out to you guys there. Uh, another lightning question. You're planning on implementing an NFT. You also have the robot token. How do you look at providing utility? So one doesn't hurt the other. I think they'll be uh, entirely complementary. I mean, robot at its core is truly a governance token. It's the way we allow for the decentralized voice of our community and, and you know nature of the brand. Um, the NFTs are going to be more uh, individual assets. I think that people will utilize, speculate on, you know, trade. Um, or ideally that would be what we'd prefer to see. Um, and, uh, you know, I assume as we start to explore and learn more, we'll find better ways to align those things. But from, you know, where we're sitting now, I think they will be quite complimentary. So. Okay. I'm looking at my uh, sheet here to see if I have any more lightning questions here. Uh, what other <laughs> partners are you planning on working with? Are there any in the hopper that you could tell us about? Ooh, there are a little too premature to talk about. I will say that we're having some really productive and exciting conversations with a legacy brand ourselves um, to, for a drop, um, possibly a, a multiple set of drops. And yeah, that's these are you know longer conversations, but uh, something we've been definitely been looking for uh, the right kind of partner and the right opportunity. And so um, excited to hopefully make that happen sometime in the next like the front half of, front half of this year. So. So we'll be on the lookout for that. Dow friend is in the chat saying robots are not programmed to shill in market. Robots are programmed to work. Uh, <laughs> so shout out to Dow he's, friend there. He's true. It's true. Dow friend is uh, uh, a key core contributor, um, amazing community builder. And, and so he's, he's instrumental in, in what we're doing. So he definitely understands that the robot ethos and love, love to see it. Yeah. Uh, I, I know we've been talking about a lot of problems in the digital physical space uh, where at, at least as it's related to like that physical portion. Uh, and this probably should have been in, in the industry discussion of, of the episode, but how do you guys like deal with maybe secondary market sales when I feel like, again, when I'm buying something physical, like I'm not actively trading that. And so you guys aren't receiving a royalty for that in that sense. Great question. Um, obviously a lot more tricky because physical good. And you're talking about, um, is it been worn? What kind of quality is it in? You also have to consider the shipping 
potential challenges, hiccups, something's lost in the mail. Like we we're dealing with, you know, customer service based, you know, issues on shipping and especially in, you know, the shadow of COVID, um, the supply chain and shipping has been really, really tough, uh, especially last few months, but, um, there are some opportunities. There are some platforms and protocols specifically looking to address this. Boson protocol is one that we've uh, played with, experimented with, did a drop specifically with them. Um, it was like a decentralized uh, Decentraland game and, and drop, which was cool. Um, and it's a tokenized, um, essentially they tokenize the asset and you can trade and or redeem that token. And there's a bunch of game theory driven opportunities. You You stake a little bit. It's released when it's received in good condition, but it's a, it's a tricky problem. We were actually, you know, one of the big focuses in the last second half of last year and this year is we're doing a lot more in-person physical pop-ups. So obviously we're going to be at ETH Denver. We were at MCON. We're going to, we're at NFT NYC. Um, we think there might be some opportunity to do like a, an in-person swap meet. So bring your Metafactory gear and we can facilitate that in person. Um, you know, how can we crawl, walk, run into these things? Um, and I think there's, people are definitely purchasing, keeping things in packaging, anticipating a secondary market. So a lot of people are asking, I think it makes sense. Obviously the NFTs will naturally, that will fit naturally into that, um, you know, yeah. scenario, yeah. but. <laughs> Love it, man. Love it. Uh, I want to ask a couple more lightning questions here. They're, I guess they're not really that lightning. I feel like we're going into them pretty, pretty hard. <laughs> it's my fault. I'm just going, <laughs> yeah, I'm rambling. What are some teams that are doing uh, merch well uh, in the space? Maybe uh, obviously ones that you're working with are going to be going through your processes. And of course, like I, I looked at the shop and it's dope. Uh, but like, what are some other teams that are doing merch and digital physical well? Um, you know, we're, we don't see a lot of like, competition directly with kind of our model and, and, and the physical goods production. Um, obviously we're doing a ton of work with bankless. We have a, t a number of really exciting drops and, and like customization stuff beyond just the hoodies and the t-shirts, um, some more exciting type cuts and stuff. Um, I'm really excited about what Apesthetics is doing, which I already kind of touched on and how they're leveraging. They're, they're really showing the potential of owning the IP right yeah, so yeah. and i think that's exciting and that's an important piece of the conversation because everyone's like you have ip and everyone's like well what does that mean like what is the value exactly system? what does that mean yeah from a, from, from a fashion perspective what does that mean well yeah if we like because say in, in the instance of apesthetics the farmer he owns i don't know a thousand apes. <laughs> I have no idea, but it's a, it's a big one dude. Yeah, they, they have a horde of apes and basically they're able to leverage the IP of each of those customize those. They can actually um, put them together in scenes, which they've done, which is really fun and exciting. Um, the first drop we did was like a play on the dogs playing poker. It's a bunch of cheetah apes playing poker. So, you know, like uh, recomposing, um, and essentially because he is the IP owner of that stuff, that is, that's his right to actually monetize and create a brand around. Um, obviously it isn't re relegated or just uh, reduced purely to merch or fashion, but I think it's a low hanging fruit and a great way to demonstrate the potential of what, what owning IP means and, and how to like take advantage of that, how to create a business from beyond just speculating on the, the asset itself. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, we are getting to the end of the episode here. Uh, we've been going about an hour. Drew has like laid it down from a digital physical and, and fashion perspective. Uh, I think, dude, you, you are fashion focused, man. I like the hat. I like that. <laughs> I've had to learn to be so <laughs> by association um, you're, you're rubbing elbows with people that are like super fashion focused. Yeah. Metafactory keeps the, my closet full too, which is great, you know, so I don't have to worry about <laughs> Yeah. Normally I, you know, I'd be out wearing Carhartts and working on the land. So it's not <laughs> there you go. Yeah. seriously. Are you, are you like an outdoorsman? Yeah. I, uh, I, I live on a farm and that's my other passion is like egg. And yeah. So what uh, I'm, I'm interested in, do you hunt at all? I do. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, bow and rifle. Um, so yeah. On your land or how does this work? I'm, I'm flying out there now. Oh, on, um, no close. Actually I was standing in my doorway the other day and 
three, four deer, nice looking buck just walked right across my land. And then I just, I grabbed my compound bow and I was like, no, nah, I can't. I was like, no hunt, no stock. It's just yeah, like, yeah. it's not fair. <laughs> but I, that's the situation. It's like from, from your window. Yeah, exactly. Just lean out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's I for, you know, for me, actually, I find the two very complimentary in sense of like tech and um, agriculture in the sense of especially like systems design. So, and that's a lot of where I sit and like we've designed our farm to be primarily like rely on the inputs that come from the farm and how to create closed systems. So I've done a bunch of aquaponic designs too, which is like closed nitrogen cycle and, and, you know, with, you know, DAOs and, and crypto economics and incentive mechanism design. It's the same thing. How do you create these systems that work together in, in mutually beneficial and productive ways? And I often find myself borrowing back and forth from like learnings and, and just like thinking of, of them independently. So I honestly thought you were going to talk about like the psychological effects of like going outside and like being able to work with your hands, but that that's a whole nother kind. Yeah. Well, there's that there, there's definitely that. And I recommend to most people that, yeah, get out from behind the screen and, and play with some dirt, play with some, you know, breathe the air, take, take a long walk. It's, I think it's good for the soul. For sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I don't want to dox you at all. If you like have your location like hidden or whatever, but like, is there any way to support your farm or is it just like a personal thing for you? It, it's a personal thing. Um, okay. we may open it up. Um, we're going to possibly put a couple like tiny home, your situation and open it up to some like the crypto friends and family, obviously Meta cartel will be more than welcome. Um, and obviously the Meta factory fam. Um, but yeah, um, we're a ways out. We're still in the in the early kind of design and planning. Uh, it used to be a, a vineyard that we raised and moving it to more of like a homestead. Dope, man. Let me know whenever that comes to fruition. I'd sure, love to. Sure. I'm assuming you're on the West Coast, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, we're, uh, yeah, we're in the middle. I'm, I'm, I'm in okay. the Rockies. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, this is purely now a rabbit hole discussion that I want to end with. Uh, and this is just for me. So if you're here and you're looking for any more Metafactory stuff, uh, definitely ask a question. Uh, Dow friend is saying, uh, if there's ever a societal breakdown of apocalyptic levels, head out to Drew's farm for shelter. <laughs> we'll toss up some yurts in his backyard. This is why I'm not sharing that. Look, <laughs> we got a bunch of OVOTs in the house. Prodigy is here. Hash rhymes digits. Uh, okay. So, you know, again, like our whole conversation has been around digiphysical and it was really cool. And now that I think about it, it was a damn meta factory Jersey. Uh, but it was like one of my experiences in the metaverse with, you know, an actual, you know, asset was when you guys had the Jersey made for the first metaverse world cup in crypto voxels. Yeah. The decentralized one. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. So the conversation, like, and I got down a super rabbit hole where I was like going to have a museum built with all these really cool, like, like assets, uh, from across the metaverse. And the big thing that I wanted to kind of talk to you about, and this is again, more general was I in the, in TLDR, I would have paid more for the Jersey that was on the field. And so you guys had a hundred of them. And so there were five people that played in that event. I would have paid more for the Jersey that was actually used, but there was no yeah. data that showed other than the owner, right. but, the, yeah. but the owner can actually be, you know, forged, right? Like an owner can own two of them and maybe, sure. I, well, I guess maybe you could have the metadata say, I put this on at a certain time and all this stuff. But I just think that there's all this cool stuff happening, especially with like fashion. I mean, there's no reason why obviously contract work and barring like all the technical complexity, but, uh, that it actually captured stats too. Like, did you score a goal, you, How, go. you know, you know, assists or, you know, just general things that I think whether they be, uh, automated or manually captured on some level, I think there could be some interesting things that honestly, this is, again, goes back to ceramic, uh, and the power of like kind of what they're doing. We think of blockchain and it is this permanent ledger and everything is stored in permanence. And, and that's great for certain things, but it's horrible for others. Main one being like personal information. Like I move, yeah. I don't want my yeah, yeah. address permanently registered as, well, I don't want my per address permanently registered anyways. But like, if I ever needed to update or change that, you know, you need a way to, for, for data to be um, updated and, and, and changed on the fly ideally without gas costs, ideally without minting something new, 
Um, so ceramic allows for uh, this type of opportunity. So someone could actually update the metadata on that jersey and say, say who who was wearing it, say the stats of that person, say, you know, so there's, there's a lot of, uh, I think, exciting things that are going to extend from these applications for sure. Absolutely, man. I love that you touched on the tooling and I think we have to definitely hop off and you guys are doing some work on Dow tooling, which would have been a cool combo, but it's about an hour, but yeah, it just struck me, man, because I was like sitting there. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, we like to, we're thought of and we're kind of positioned and we talk about ourselves as this like more decentralized brand and marketplace, but it's really just a guise for DAO research and tooling at the end of the day. <laughs> and a lot of the stuff we're building for Metafactory, we're doing in a way that um, it's agnostic and open. So others, other DAOs and other groups and, and brands are able to to grab this stuff and and further themselves. Because the reality is we want to, we want Metafactory to inspire a million more Metafactories and experiments and things like um this is if if we can at least inspire new projects and and push the space forward and and provide tooling and infrastructure to to support that that's that's a huge win i, lo- so. I love it man we got to have you back of course uh love what the team's doing i'd love to have you guys on like another show like an nft live where we could display all the stuff you guys are doing uh will god we have some vr production stuff coming through we're going to be doing new content but like virtual production side um, I'll chat with our, our VR crew, um, and the Metafactory side, and we'll set up a time to bring you into like the production studios we've built. We'll make you an avatar. We'll do a, it'll be fun. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure something out. Yeah. Cool, man. All right, guys, we're going to get off here. This has been a great interview uh, with Drew Harding, co-founder of Metafactory. They're doing some awesome stuff in the digital physical space. Uh, we're going to wave by here in a second. Last lightning question. I usually do a book recommendation question here and there. Uh, I only ask this because I, I would love to have like a, a hunting related, maybe documentary series oh, man. book or something that you might have, maybe even a farming one, just from my personal <laughs> perspective. Anything there or no? It's going to be nonfiction. <laughs> pretty dry. Uh, okay. I mean, uh, there's a there's a pair of books called Edible Forest Gardens. Um, those have been hugely inspirational and influential and in kind of my thinking. Um they're, they're pretty, they're pretty deep and talk about a lot of like polyculture, permaculture design stuff, um, that systems design, um, those are great. Those are great resources on that side. And of course I'll always plug snow crash. If you're interested Absolutely. in metaverse and you haven't read snow crash, you have to read snow crash, the, bir- the birth of the, the right. birth of the, of the concept, essentially the whole idea. I, I believe the first time the term metaverse was actually used publicly. That was in like the eighties too, right? Wasn't it like so- 70s, 80s, I maybe. I don't want him to speak, yeah. but it's definitely pretty old. Yeah. Uh, Neil Stevenson, though, has written quite a few things. Gotcha. So. All right, folks, thank you for tuning along to the Nifty Q show. We're going to be back tomorrow with Kagi Yan, uh, who you guys already know uh, is one of the best uh, NFT gamers in space. So that's going to be a good combo. Uh, but Drew, appreciate you so much, man. We're going to wave by uh, here to the viewers. Uh, this will be on audio afterwards, 24 hours. So if you guys want to you know, retune in, please do. Drew, thanks again, man. Of course. Thank you.